Up next, the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. After this message. Are you getting enough CBD each day? Hemp Meds carries the most trusted CBD oil brands like Real Scientific Hemp Oil and Dixie Botanicals to make it easy to add cannabinoids like CBD to your diet. We hold all our hemp oil products to our rigorous triple lab tested standard to ensure that you and your family receive only the highest quality and most reliable CBD products. Hemp Meds is your trusted source for CBD. Visit hempmeds.com to get our premium CBD oil today. Use discount code CBD20 to get 20% off your first order. And now, broadcasting on StarWorldWideNetworks.com, it's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the cannabis reporter, Snowden Bishop. Hi, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm your host, Snowden Bishop. As a journalist, I'm not a proponent of conspiracy theories. But when it comes to prohibition of marijuana, a conspiracy of monumental proportions seems obvious to anyone that knows the history of reefer madness and the subsequent scheduling of cannabis. By the time Congress passed the Controlled Substances Act, marijuana had been demonized to the point that no one seemed to care it was lumped into a class of Schedule I drugs. That means marijuana was in a class with drugs like heroin, LSD, and other drugs with no known medical use and a high potential for abuse. Despite the overwhelming evidence that marijuana has medical value and is far safer than other drugs, Congress has refused to acknowledge the truth for reasons no one seems to know. But now that the cat's out of the bag, states are taking matters into their own hands. More than 80% of Americans now have legal access to medical marijuana for some of the most debilitating conditions that qualify. While that's great for people with qualifying conditions, there are still too many people who need cannabis but can't get it because their conditions don't qualify, their employers won't permit it, or they'd lose benefits. Just the other day, I read a story in the news about a veteran who lost his VA benefits and was refused treatment because a routine blood screening showed he was positive for THC. This seems to be an ongoing issue with the VA. Even if use of medical marijuana would have no impact on the need for, say, a prosthetic limb or other medical services, a veteran can be denied medical benefits just because he's chosen to medicate with cannabis. When I read stories like this, it infuriates me. On this show, we've spoken to several veterans who claim with utmost certainty that cannabis has saved their lives. So why would use of a life-saving treatment bar them from receiving additional care? But that's not all. Most states require medical marijuana patients to register for a license to have access to dispensaries and to be able to purchase their medicine. In some states, patients who register for a medical marijuana license are automatically subjected to unfair discrimination and stripped of a fundamental constitutional right, the right to bear arms. Well, that's the topic of today's show and something our guest is trying to change. But first, Dr. Brian Donner has our Medical Marijuana Minute. What do you have for us today, Dr. Donner? Thank you, Snowden. I don't ordinarily get political, but I'd be remiss if I didn't address the announcement of an eminent crackdown on states that have legalized marijuana. While medical marijuana laws would likely not be targeted, any federal interference with state laws could have far-reaching implications for patients and medical cannabis in general. It could also have a negative effect on doctors who may have considered integrating medical cannabis into their practice. From a medical perspective, this is troubling for a number of reasons. First, we have made significant progress with efforts to educate doctors on medical cannabis and the endocannabinoid system. Many are beginning to acknowledge the scientific evidence that medical marijuana is a safe and effective treatment option. But the threat of losing their DEA licenses is enough to deter any doctor from embracing medical cannabis. And we have already seen this happen in certain states. Secondly, existing medical marijuana laws don't go far enough to qualify all of the medical conditions that could potentially be treated with medical cannabis, and they vary greatly from state to state. 
For example, we have some evidence that medical cannabis can potentially help to prevent suicide and curb the anxiety associated with PTSD. And yet only a handful of states listed as a qualifying condition and veterans could potentially lose their federal VA benefits if they use. Reversing legislation could not only potentially restrict the number of qualifying conditions, it could also create unnecessary barriers to access and make it less affordable to patients. Last but not least, the federal crackdown could also seriously dampen efforts to pass similar laws in states where medical marijuana isn't yet legal. As a Schedule I controlled substance, marijuana is deemed by the federal government to have no known medical use or utility. As a physician who has personally witnessed positive outcomes of treating patients with medical cannabis, and with the scientific understanding of the endocannabinoid system that we already have, I can say with certainty that this is most definitely false. Not only has science proven that cannabis has legitimate medical use, we now have evidence that it has a much lower potential for abuse than alcohol and other legal drugs that are commonplace in modern medicine. In my opinion, patients shouldn't have to risk going to jail in order to get the medical relief they need. Doctors shouldn't have to risk their jobs or their licenses either. Whether medical marijuana has helped you, or if you believe patients in any state should have access to it, I encourage you to write to your senators and representatives and urge them to consider sensible marijuana law reform. With a majority of Americans in favor of full access to medical marijuana for any condition, eventually federal lawmakers will have to comply with the will of the people. I'm Dr. Brian Donner for the Cannabis Reporter. I'll be back again next week with another Medical Marijuana Minute. Back to you, Snowden. Thank you so much, Dr. Donner. Let's get started. I am really excited to introduce our guest. Robert Reed is a well-known disabled Navy veteran who's been politically active in Arkansas for well over a decade. He has held the office of vice, vice and state chair of the Arizona Libertarian Party and was a candidate for the Arkansas House of Representatives in that party in 2016. He was the first registered citizen to become a cannabis lobbyist in Arkansas. He's a spokesperson for the Arkansas for Medical Cannabis and author of the legislative measures which passed in the 2016 elections. He's the former radio host of Cannabis News and Information Radio program that aired weekly for almost two years on KABF in Little Rock. And if that's not enough, Robert Reed has filed a lawsuit in Arkansas that poses a constitutional question challenging the right of the government to strip medical marijuana patients of their rights and to question the constitutionality of whether cannabis prohibition is constitutional in the first place. Thank you for your service, sir, and thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad you could join us today. Well, it's, it's uh, an extreme pleasure. Your introduction sort of hit home. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad it did. I did a lot of reading about you, as you can probably tell. But um, you actually sent out a press release, and uh, it, it was all about this court case that you filed. It's a constitutional question, not to be confused with... Um, a lawsuit that would say sue the state for money. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about about the court case? Okay. Well, well first a couple couple clarifications. All my work uh, has been in Arkansas, and the 2016 was not mine. I did a 2012 and 2014 that did not get on the ballot. Just to, just to clarify, because I've you know we, facts are facts. But here's here's uh, getting to the court case that I've filed in November last year, here's the difference. All of the court legislation, and you hear about somebody went to court uh, because they got arrested or whatever, is called a challenge to the law. So the attorney is trying to challenge for the benefit of their client the validity of the law. What I have posed and filed is the only ever that we can find, and this is by Westlaw, by Berkeley Law, by Berkeley University, and by the uh, Westlaw Library, the only ever constitutional question. Now, here's the difference. A constitutional question actually questions the court, is a law constitutional, before anyone is harmed. So, see, I haven't violated any laws. I haven't been arrested. 
but knowing full well if I want to exercise what I believe are my rights and I go out here and plant a cannabis plant, I will be arrested. I will lose my benefits. I'll lose my property, lose my livelihood. Is that constitutional? So as far as we can tell, and I've had three attorneys research this, this is the only case ever where a citizen is charged or or questioned, not challenged, questioned the constitutionality of a state statute. Right. And, and the state statutes that you're questioning involve um, the Second Amendment rights as well, correct? Exactly. Well, see, what I've done, instead of going, see, I'm doing this out of my own pocket. So instead of going to the federal courts and going to that uh, stuff, we'll just leave it there. I, as a citizen, have precedent or, or standing to file in my local jurisdiction. In other words, in my local circuit court. So I'm, I'm challenging the state statute because all the state statutes follow federal law. So my evidence is that the state follows federal law, and federal law is unconstitutional, therefore the state laws are unconstitutional and you cannot enforce them on me. Right. And so, so the unconstitutionality would have to do with whether or not cannabis should even be considered in the Schedule One of the Controlled Substances Act? Is that part of it? Well, that's part of it, but here, here's the devil in the details. Marijuana, under Title 21 of the U.S. Code, is a Schedule One drug. And all reporters report that marijuana is illegal under federal law. What they fail to report, cannabis has never, is not, and has currently never been listed on the Controlled Substance Act. So how can the cannabis plant that I grow for purpose A, B, or C be illegal under federal law? when under federal law, it's not listed. And that would be something that most people wouldn't know. Exactly. Um, and again, it's just like our presidency and our laws and our media, and I, I use the media term lightly because you are in the media, and so am I, because I've done you know radio show for a couple of years. The devil's in the details and devil's in the truth. Here's the fact, and anybody can go to my website, PCNP talk cannabis and politics, and there's several ways to get to it, TCNP, TCNP. But anyways, under the federal definition since prior to the Marijuana Tax Act, the word marijuana has a black and white federal definition. And under the black and white federal definition, the word marijuana is defined as, and I quote, cannabis sativa L, end quote. That means marijuana, by definition, by the federal government, is only one, and I repeat, only one out of the 700 and some cannabis plants that are illegal. Right. So, so in other words, um, a, a cannabis indica uh, of hemp variety is not, is not technically... It's not covered. The rudialis? Any strain other than cannabis sativa L, cannabis sativa MJ6456, all the indicas and all the rudialises, not a single one of them will you find listed in any federal statute under Title 21. Right. Although extracts of any one of those that would contain THC or now more recently CBD would have its own numerical code. Under well, Schedule 1. Well, and that's, uh, again, devil's in the details. The, the new rule that came out and went into effect in January labels any compound from any plant containing CBDs of any amount as a Schedule 1. Yeah, a, a single CBD of any amount. A single CBD of any amount. Now, what the, the DEA and the government and even our state is not recognizing is the courts have overturned, uh, I believe the Ninth Circuit overturned, that the 
the THC Delta 9, what everybody calls THC, all right, was referenced as synthetic, not natural occurring. Well, if it's in a plant, it's natural occurring. Synthetic is Marinol, which right. is, by the way, 100% synthetic Delta 9, and it's a class 3 narcotic. Right, which is, is crazy because there are side effects to that. Um, oh, and, and not only that, the Marinol at my local drugstore down here at Walmart, because they can get it at any Walmart, they just got to order it because it's so expensive, don't keep it. Is two, uh, last time we checked, which was about a year ago, was 2,610% more expensive than the best medical grade in California. Right. And it's only one compound. Right. And it's synthetic. <laughs> and it's synthetic. So, you know, three strikes, you're out. But see, this is legal because it's a synthetic pharmaceutically produced. Right. So, so what I've done, uh, you know, and, and again, on the, on the right to bear arms, the, the federal government, ATF, has come out with a new, uh, a new question on their form based off of a court case that says that if you possess medical marijuana, and that's what they have on the form, it's not cannabis, it's medical marijuana, is that it's illegal, illegal for you to possess a firearm. Well, my question is, and I'm a disabled vet, I've got enough pharmaceuticals in my house to kill an elephant, literally, and they're approved by the government. But I can't have a plant that won't kill me. All right? I don't have to answer that same question with the Oxycontin, the Hydrocodone, the Morphine, Psych Meds, anti-seizure medication, inhalers, uh, you know, Benadryl, Demerol. I don't have to answer that question on the ATF form. Right. But you do if you're in a state and you're taking cannabis. So my argument on that particular form, and I'm using the federal form as evidence in the state case, is that, number one, you can't ask me that because it's a self-incriminating statement. And number two, if it's medically assigned, it has never been illegal. Right. And, and, and here's my validation on never been illegal. If anybody would bother to read Title 21, again, our, our federal drug code, the last section of Title 21 is the enforcement clause. And it says in the enforcement clause that possession of any controlled, the key is any controlled substance is illegal. And then there's one word in there that people miss. The word is unless. And it says unless possession is accompanied by a recommendation or order from a doctor. Well, if I've got a doctor's recommendation or order, I'm already complying with federal law, so therefore I'm not violating your blasted local laws nor the federal law. And that's a that's a very important distinction, isn't it? Because it yeah, says well, any I mean, schedule one or any schedule uh, substance, any schedule. So that would include one, two, three, four. Well, if if you if you get a prescription from a pharmacist or from a doctor, to, well, if you feel a if you, oh, you feel, feel a, one, yeah. a medication on a prescription. Mm-hmm. That bottle will say it will be against federal law to give that medication to someone else. Correct. Because if you are in possession of any prescribed medication that is not prescribed to you, that is a crime in every state. Right. Well, if you have a prescription recommendation, and the federal law does not say prescription. It says recommendation, recommendation. or order. Right. So if I have a recommendation from my doctor and I'm in possession, federal law says I am not violating the Controlled Substance Act. And that's black and white. That's not Robert Reed. Right. That's black and white of the law. So why can I go to jail if my doctor recommends something that's a scheduled drug, and I get it, and I have it in my possession, why can I be arrested and go to jail for something that is not illegal under the black and white of the law? Right. Well, and then furthermore, why could you be stripped of a fundamental constitutional right for um, acknowledging that your doctor has recommended a substance that shouldn't be illegal anyway if your doctor recommended it? <laughs> well, let's not even go into the should be illegal anyways. 
Okay, there's there's nothing on that form. It says illegal use. Well, it's not illegal if I've got a recommendation for it. Right, exactly. So what what is it in the Arkansas um, state statutes that that prohibits anyone filling out that form, the ATF form, from possessing a firearm if they have a recommendation for medical marijuana use? What is what is it in that in that particular state statute? Well, that that particular state statute is right now is being argued, you know, in the in our general assembly right now. Okay, but the big thing on that on that one, and the reason I'm part is part of my argument is that we we have a, uh, for lack of a better word, if you if you go 25 miles out of your normal realm of business, you're free you're free to carry a firearm. Right. Okay. Unless, according to the state, you're in possession of a controlled substance, i.e. cannabis. Then immediately your misdemeanor charge of possession goes to an automatic felon with a weapon, and you've got a doctor's recommendation. So what about if you're in possession of a bottle of oxycodone that was also recommended by your physician? Oh, that's legal. Right, so they... they specifically target out uh, marijuana in yep. in the ATF. Yep, that's interesting. The new the new ATF form it's available on my website at TC TCMP. It specifically says medical marijuana or marijuana. I'm not going to say. I, I take that back. I'm not going to say medical marijuana because I don't have the form in front of me. Right, right. They, and they changed that before the question was. Are you taking any illegal substances or addicted to any illegal substances? And what all started this row with the with the with the firearms thing is a particular female had a recommendation and went and signed and checked the yes box yes block on the ATF form and said basically that she was using an illegal substance or addicted to it. Well, they turned her down, and that ended up in a court case, and I believe the Ninth Circuit heard that. But the point I'm arguing under the question is, if the federal law says it's not illegal to possess a controlled substance with a doctor's recommendation, why is it illegal for me to possess a weapon? Because that's a federal piece of paperwork Mm -hmm. when I have a valid recommendation. Right, and then... It's no different than the rest of the box of pills I got sitting here. Right. And then furthermore, why would it be illegal for you to possess um, that substance in general? Exactly. Exactly. And again, the, 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 and again, this is a loose term, and I know it's getting a lot of traction. The media, but this, is, this has been going for 80 years. Yeah. Okay. Is the word... All marijuana is, you know, marijuana is a Schedule One. No, it's not. Marijuana is, it's one freaking plant <laughs> out of 400. Yeah. And 480 some and still counting. Right. Okay. None, it's, it, let me, I, and I know most of your audiences grows vegetables and flowers and does yard work. Let's say that you like tomatoes and you got 15 different varieties of tomatoes in your garden. Well, every one of those tomato plants that produces the pasta, the Roma, the Cherokee, the Black Purples, the Mortgage Lifters, every one of those has a separate name. Yeah. Oh, that's like saying tomatoes is every one of your tomatoes in the garden is illegal. When they actually meant only the Ramona tomato was illegal. Right. All the other tomatoes are okay, but you can't have this one. Yeah. Okay, but again, it's been smoke and mirrors of 80 years of bad information due to economics. And if people actually track where the money is, it's not the pharmaceutical companies. Right. Yeah, this is all very interesting to me. Um, And I know that people can get caught up in semantics and, and for some 
some laws, you know that the intent was to make a certain activity illegal no matter what you put the name on it. And that's kind of an, a given and kind of an understood. Um, but with something like this, it, it really does draw into question, though. This whole thing draws into question the constitutionality of even um, considering any cannabis plant uh, as a Schedule One narcotic. And does the court case actually address that? Because, I mean, clearly, to be Schedule One, a drug would need to have absolutely zero medical use and have a very high potential of abuse. And marijuana clearly has medical use. Science has proven that time and time again. And it clearly has a lower potential for abuse than, than drugs that are not even scheduled, that okay. are fully legal. So will this particular constitutional question actually bring that issue up? It, it, it will. And here's, here's the argument. Let's take the abuse issue, all right? Again, the devil's in the details. It only has a high potential of abuse because it's illegal. If it was legal, then the abuse question goes out the window. Think of alcohol. Alcohol is legal. And if you drink a certain amount at a certain rate, you're not abusing it. But if you binge drink or become a drunkard or go out here and kill somebody under the influence, then you've abused alcohol. Right. The only reason, quote, marijuana has a high abuse potential is it's illegal. Yeah. So if you take anything that's illegal, that's abusing it. Now, if you go to a clinic or a recovery facility, we found this out early early on in 2010, they don't ask you in the intake, what was the first compound you consumed that you did not have the legal right to do? They ask you, you know, what, uh, you know, have you ever smoked pot or taken cocaine or whatever, okay? And that's where the marijuana comes in. But they never ask the intake person, you know, what was the first product that you consumed that was illegal for you to possess? Well, the answer to that question is either alcohol or tobacco. Because if you was under 18, depending on how old you are, 18, 16, or 21, and you snuck a pack of smokes out of Papa's bedroom, that was illegal for you to possess because that was your first use of an illegal substance. Mm-hmm. That's not the question on the intake. The intake is worded, illegal substance, i.e. drug. Well, right. caffeine's a drug. Chocolate's a drug. You know, and you think about the new CBD thing that DEA come out with. What two compounds, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but what two compounds have a high CBD rate that occur naturally that everybody knows about and everybody talks about? And we just had a, a holiday that celebrated one of them. Well, chocolate is one. <laughs> and the other one is mother's milk. Really? Yep. Because the human body is the only mammal on this planet that has CBD receptors. Right. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, the endocannabinoid system, exactly. which we happened to talk about last week on the show. Um, but yeah. That is, that's he's, very interesting. So a, mother's milk has, a, has um, a high concentrations amount. of it? No, a huge amount. Yeah, interesting. Matter of fact, there was a study published, and then they, they hit it, and then it was republished again. They actually did a survival rate to Berkeley, out of Berkeley, California, on, uh, from birth to two years old, on people that had uh, positive drug tests upon delivery. They pulled the report three years after it was put out, because when somebody actually looked at it, the wives or the women that delivered that were positive for THCA, the acid in, in cannabis, uh-huh. had a higher survival rate than the drug-free people. Interesting. 
No. Yeah, and, and um, for those who don't know, um, THCA actually has no psychotropic effect on a person. That's what they test you for when you get a drug test. They Is... don't test you for Delta 9. Really? Oh, see another devil in the details. Okay, you're you're filled with all kinds of information here. I I like to think I know quite a bit about cannabis, about cannabis law, about the medical side of cannabis. Even though I'm not a doctor or a lawyer, neither am I. But I I like to think that I know a lot, I, and it, I love learning things that I had no clue about. That's something oh. I'm going to have to look up. No, when That's when fantastic. you ingest cannabis. Let's say for medical or recreational purposes. Uh huh. The delta nine tetrahydrocannabinol breaks down at the same, almost identical same rate as alcohol. Yeah. Well, the byproduct of cannabis, period, whether you use hemp oil out of Whole Foods or hemp oil out of Walmart or body skin lotion, is it breaks down into THCA. When you pop positive, for pot, they actually test for THCA in the concentration. That's why you can blow positive 14, 18, 28 days later. Because there's no Delta 9 left. It left two hours after you smoked the joint. See, and if they change the, if they change, that brings up a really interesting question. I'm going to have to um, ask our medical expert about that because... That's a very interesting question because they've always said, you know, it's impossible to test to see if someone is under the influence of marijuana um, because they'll test positive weeks after the fact when they may not have any psychotropic uh, expression in their behavior, you know, that would make them unable to drive or operate heavy machinery like three weeks later. Right. So... That's a really interesting question, and I'm I'm definitely going to raise that um, the next time I have the opportunity to speak with a chemist or or someone who's knowledgeable about that aspect of it. Because well, and, and one one of the sources, you know, I've used several sources. One of them, you know, and I, I do have a a chemist that I work with that that does with that kind of thing, and it's it's no different. And and what's where where the propaganda and and the prohibition is really important to me is that your, your major drugs that are street drugs, your heroin, your codeines, uh, the opiates of, of a street level, they're out of your system in as little as three days. Right. But the THCA, because see, I always wondered when I was active duty military, I, I spent over 16 and a half years in the Navy before I was found unfit for service due to medical conditions. We had, there were two occasions that I know of personally and then I was also military law enforcement for a couple of years. But a guy would go to a, a court-martial or, or a mast in the Navy for a positive urine test, and the guy was as clean as a saint. Well, come to find out, some people, because of the cannabinoids in the system, can test positive for THCA if they're in a perfect vacuum. Yeah, well, and it, it would kind of make sense because the endocannabinoid system they actually produce, will replicate. They produce, if we didn't have, if our body could not produce THCA, our nerve cells would die. Right. So if your body's producing enough to test with, you'll pop positive and never smoked anything or ingested anything or ever been in the poker game where there was a joint being passed around. Right. Because yeah, and, and, and scientists are starting to learn that um, deficiency in cannabinoids such as THCA actually lead to neurological degenerative diseases. Well, the human, the, the human itself, the human body itself, has been scientifically proven that if you remove the cannabinoids from the nerve cells, you would die in a matter of hours. Well, the only way you can keep those cells regenerated is if the body generates the THCA. Right. And the THC is a byproduct, but that's when you get popped, that's what you get popped for. And the, here in Arkansas, I talked at a crime lab uh, about a year and a half ago. And the reason they don't actively check for the Delta 9 is because it's expensive. Wow. 
<laughs> you, you, I, I'm speechless, honestly. It, it, this is a really interesting revelation for me, and I'm very excited to go and look this up more, um, and I will, believe me. But you're very knowledgeable for not being a, a doctor or an attorney, and actually, I, this court case, you're representing yourself. Yeah, and have you tried, you've tried to get attorneys to work with you on this, and I, I understand the financial considerations, but um, it surprises me, given the, the substantial amount of evidence you seem to have that this is a winnable um, question, a winnable case. It surprises me that more attorneys haven't stepped forward to try to uh, help you get this question answered, because it, it would be a groundbreaking case, I would think. Well, it's the only one that's ever been filed, so I don't know if that's history-making, but I think it is. Well, it certainly would set a precedent if Arkansas comes back and says, um, hey, you've got a really good point here, because, oh. and you mentioned this to me before, that it would be um, something that other states could take and replicate the question within their own states and ultimately get the question brought to the Supreme Court. Well, here, here's the, as I perceive it, and again, I do not have a legal background. I'm an engineer from the Navy, okay? But I do know how to read and write and do arithmetic on occasion. Uh, one, of the, one of the issues with the Arkansas Attorney General is they were arguing that I don't have standing, yada, yada, yada. Well, you can't argue that because there's no precedence for what I'm doing. Right. Okay? And... Uh, because I'm challenging a state statute, and every state we've ever looked at over the past decade basically is a mirror image of some kind or another, but pretty close to a mirror image of the federal statute. And so I'm utilizing, there's two, there's two legal terms that I'm utilizing. One is, one is called a supremacy clause, which states that federal law and the U.S. Constitution trumps any state law or constitution. Well. If that be the fact, and I can prove that only one particular plant is marijuana, the rest of the cannabis you can't touch, that means the state's got to abide by the federal statute. Right. Which means I can grow anything but one plant. So I can have a whole field of tomatoes of different kinds, I just can't grow that one. But here, here comes the interesting part, and it's called the vagueness doctrine. And this is a federal doctrine. In the, in the U.S. Supreme Court, that all laws must be clear, concise, and understandable. Well, here's an interesting dilemma that I've got the court into. The United States Department of Agriculture is a federal department, correct? Yes. It is run by the federal government. Mm -hmm. It has its own cabinet. Right. And I take it you are sitting down. Oh, yes. In their own definition of agricultural commodities, again, U.S. Department of Agriculture, right. which every state abides by, including Arkansas, hemp is defined as cannabis sativa L. On the same page, marijuana, cannabis sativa L, is classified as a Schedule One drug. Now, Seems to me that violates the vagueness doctrine. In the way that um, hemp is hemp, hemp is an agricultural commodity, be a drug under the same definition in the same organization at the federal level. Hmm. You must have a separate definition, but you don't. Right. The Department of Ag has cannabis sativa L hemp. Cannabis sativa L, Schedule One drug. But it's illegal for me as a farmer to plant a Schedule One drug. So, under the vagueness doctrine, the Department of Agriculture is even violating our own Supreme Court rules. Right. So, why, you know, it's, it's boggled my mind that no one has actually gone to challenge the law um, challenge the scheduling well, in the, a court the, of law of, the, uh, of any form of cannabis. 
They have challenged it. There's been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of challenges. But nobody's ever questioned it. Mm-hmm. See, a challenge is when you have suffered harm, been in, in, a, in a layman's terms, if you've been arrested or busted or asset seizures, then you challenge on your own behalf that the law was vague, unconstitutional. And there's been literally thousands of cases where an attorney's went in, challenged the law, the court says, hmm, you know, you're right, we can't charge you with that. And the person was found at a lesser or the charges were dismissed. No one other than myself that I can find, and yeah, I might be, you know, bagging a little bit, has actually posed the constitutional question. Is this law constitutional? Yeah. It's different if I get, now, if I get busted, then I can argue if it's constitutional and it only affects me. What I'm doing affects everyone. Right. Because if I win, it's called a factual case. All right, not an applied case. If you challenge it because you've been arrested, it's called applied. So it only applies to you. I'm challenged. I'm challenging the whole thing. Is it constitutional or not? And yes. if it's found in my favor, it overturns the entire scheduling in the state. And based on federal evidence, there would only be one plant. If if I win. Actually, I'm going to say when I win, because I think I've got enough documented evidence. Then there's only one illegal plant, and that is Cannabis Sativa L. If you own, possess, grow anything else, it's never been illegal. Right. But isn't Cannabis Sativa L sort of, it's it's also an umbrella species in its own right, which has, you know, hundreds of subspecies that fall under the same plant classification as Santa, uh, cannabis sativa L? Well, if, if you break down the bot- botanicals, though, all cannabis plants are kinesis. If you back it up one step. Mm-hmm. When you put the L in there, that is one specific plant. Right. So you, you know, cannabis rudialis, there's cannabis rudialis and then a whole bunch of other initials and names behind it. Cannabis indica and a whole bunch of other names and numbers behind it. Right. Same thing with cannabis sativa. There's a whole bunch of names and numbers behind it, but the only one listed in black and white is L. Now, for years, you're right, for years they've used that as the smoke and mirrors that, well, it covers all of them. Yeah. Well, no, it don't. Because That's... every plant has got its own genetic name. Yeah, and, and see, this is where education is so very important because... You know, like I was saying in the in the intro, you know, by the time this the scheduling came around, no one was second guessing the fact that, you know, marijuana or any any kind of cannabis was bad. (laughs) You know, it it had been sufficiently demonized for so long, you know, at that point, uh, 30 years or so. And, And and see, the other part of history that's left out and is not part of court documents. It's, it's anecdotal, you know, but it, it's still there. There was, there was a, a push, you know, prior to the Tax Act to make, quote, marijuana illegal, and, and they was doing it because of the prohibition. But the reason we ended up with the Marijuana Tax Act without a fight is the farmers didn't know when they did it, it would outlaw hemp. Right. Okay, they, they had no clue. I mean, one day they had a farm that was legal, the next day... It was it was marijuana. Yeah, you know? and and in order to file for the tax stamp, um, they were actually um, being subjected to violating their Fifth Amendment right. Right now, here's here's interesting, and that's why I'm, I'm I know I'm going to be successful on this. From the time that first court case was filed in 1931, I believe it was, until it got overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court in 1969, it was 35 years. Well, it got overturned in 69, and we ended up with a Controlled Substance Act in 70 with the same definition. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, what people don't realize economically is back in the day, back in the 20s and 30s, you had three major industries. You had paper, timber, cotton, and chemicals. Right. 
all of those were in competition with hemp. Right, and and uh, petroleum products, um, yeah, which we, I guess falls under the chemicals, but it, yeah. it, the industry, chemical industry, was actually processing, and the raw material that hemp competed with was oil, of course, oil and trees. Well, you know, it's you know a lot of people you know claim it, you know even with uh, Jack Her and the Emperor wearing those clothes, you know that you know the the economics is blown out of proportion. But if you actually look at the power players of the day, you know, after the Civil War and even even until just recently, and and now it's coming back, the big agricultural crop at that time was cotton. Right. You know, King Cotton, and then you yeah. had Dupont had was starting to come in with synthetic rayon and nylon. Mm-hmm. Then you had the Hearst Corporation as one of the uh, consumers, and here's where again facts and detail: consumers of paper products. And paper was a big industry. Yeah. It was in fact hemp was the primary resource for paper until until Reefer Madness, and that was um obviously spearheaded by Hearst and DuPont and you know, a number of other uh co conspirators. Well, some some of that's quasi factual. I mean Hearst was in the in the publishing industry, but the you know, he was more of a consumer than a producer. Right. No, he was a consumer of the paper, but he, what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what I understand is that um, he had purchased large swaths of land in the Carolinas with timber. And DuPont had a new chemical out that could mulch wood into paper. And so Hearst was thinking, well, why should I pay for the hemp to have that made into paper when I can just take my timber and DuPont's chemicals and make my own and not have that overhead. Well, and that, that was part of it, but uh, he wasn't much of a businessman because he went bankrupt not too long after that. Ah. As, as in Hearst. Right, but, right. You know, the, industry, the industry as a whole, okay, I mean, Hearst was a huge, his newspaper industry was a very large consumer of paper. You right. Know? But the, the paper industry was definitely affected you know, by the hemp being, you know, being out. Yeah. After the invention of the decorticator, it became a viable crop. Yeah, and the corticator went away long, you know, has long since gone away. But uh, yeah, you can still you can still find plans for that thing, though. Yeah. Well, that would be that would be a, a nice thing. It'd be nice to bring hemp back. And in fact, we're going to be doing a show on hemp here in the next couple of weeks. And uh, I could talk for weeks about that. But I have to um, let you know that our beautiful producer, Wendy West, is giving me a signal that it's getting close to time to wrap up here. So I wanted to get from you any last thoughts. And if, if any attorneys are listening, what would you tell them? Or if anyone... Um, listening has any interest in the subject, what is the thing you would want them to know the most? Well, the biggest thing is you've been dealing with smoke and mirrors of 80 years of bad information. Go to my website, TRCNP. It's Talk Cannabis and Politics. There's several ways to get it. I'm doing this out of my own pocket. Read the press releases. They're out there. The last one is the demand for jury trial. Uh, court case number is 71 71- TV, that's Charles Victor, dash one six dash one eight nine, and if you can help me out, I'd appreciate it. I've been fighting this out of my pocket for the last decade because the attorneys will lose money because the only cases they can win without a court is if they bust you for possession. Because believe it or not, and, and sort of a closing statement, it's one of the few crimes where they have the evidence of guilt before you ever get arrested. Mm-hmm. So the, the attorneys do not want the vast majority of attorneys I've talked to, they'll argue it privately for a client. They will not argue this constitutional question. And again, this is a big difference, and this is what people really need to realize. This is a constitutional question. I am questioning the constitutionality prior to suffering damages right. on whether this is even legal or not. Yeah. I'm not challenging the law. I'm questioning the constitutionality of the law. And as far as we can tell, with vast amounts of research, this has never been done. I'm on the Internet. You look me up. You, I can't hide. I haven't hidden for 10 years. 
And I do want to thank your radio station and your radio program for doing it, because out of the thousands and thousands of press releases and stories that went out, you guys were the only ones that had the nerve to call me up. Yeah, well, I'm I'm so delighted that you accepted my invitation for this interview, and I'm I'm grateful, and I I love learning new things, and you really have shed some light on some things that even the most educated among us who know a lot about cannabis may not know. So, well, and, and I if you think go on the website, that. there's access to over three thousand documents. Yeah. Okay, it's a very substantial website, several links. And nothing on that uh, website, one thing that's kept me out of trouble is if I can't find the source document, I usually don't put it out. Matter of fact, I don't. Yeah. And one of the biggest sources I've been relied on for years is Granny Storm's List. There's a direct link to literally thousands of tests, cases, documentations when it comes to medical. So visit the website, join me on Facebook. Facebook is TCMP, and it's the, 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 old, the old part behind the microphone. But if you're interested in the truth, visit us and help us help, help end the madness and quit putting people in jail for a God-created plan. Yes. Here, here. I am with you 100%. So I really look forward to speaking with you again. So um, thank you once again to Robert Reed for sharing his journey with us today. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much. So if, if you'd like to learn more about what Mr. Reed is doing, um, you can, if you didn't catch the web addresses that he put out, um, I will have those on our website as well. And uh, along with other compelling topics and guests at thecannabisreporter.com, just click on broadcasts and find today's show. And um, once again, Robert Reed, thank you so much. And thank you for your service. And I'd also like to thank Dr. Brian Donner for our Medical Marijuana Minute update. And a million thanks to our producer, Wendy Rest, and the team at Star Worldwide Networks for making us shine. I'd also like to express our gratitude to our sponsors, Hemp Meds and Zephyr Labs. We would not be able to do this without you. And last but not least, thanks to all of you for listening. Tune in next week, same time, same place, for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Until we meet again, stay safe, stay informed, and make it a great day. Evergreen is calling, evergreen is always, where I Pure CBD is a new and unique fresh-tasting spray product which delivers an exact measured amount of the highest-grade 100% cannabis oil with each spray. Each tube holds a 30-day supply when used as directed. No smoke, no mess. For discreet use, Pure CBD can be used anywhere. Pure CBD from Zephyr Labs.